Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard to today's edition of Human Events Daily. As you can see, we're here at America Fest. We're wrapping up things. Everything's running down, and yet uh, uh, someone was 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 trying to leave, and I grabbed him and, and prevented him from entering his Uber. And that was that was Dr. Darren Beatty who was there with us, and uh, got an excellent shout out by the way on True Social the other day from President Trump. I saw indeed which that was incredible, great. and. Uh, I wanted to grab him and get him on to do an interview with us because we've now seen four criminal referrals against President Trump regarding January 6th as the January 6th committee is wrapping up. And I've got to get, you know, obviously this has been a focus of Revolver News for some time. Uh, Let me get your reaction to these charges and then also where you think this is going to play out. No, that's a great question, and you're right. We've been following all aspects of January 6th, but also the corrupt January 6th committee for some time. And, you know, my initial impression is the charges are ridiculous, especially the incitement charge. He said, go peacefully and patriotically to the Capitol. And they're recommending an indictment for incitement. Meanwhile, they're defending a now infamous character called Ray Epps, who we have on camera repeatedly telling people, I'm probably gonna go to jail for this, but we need to go into the Capitol, into the Capitol. So the juxtaposition of those two things, which is clearly the J6 witch hunt against Trump versus all the things that you know, they didn't touch and didn't talk about is quite remarkable. You know, and, and neither, neither of us are lawyers, but I, I'd like to know if there's some other legal definition of the word incitement, because when I hear Ray Epps' statements, go into the Capitol, storm the Capitol, our, that's where our enemy is. Right. Our enemy is the Capitol. It, he literally yeah, said I mean, that. To me, I would define that as incitement. Yep. And when I hear President Trump make these, you know, they try to tie these vague statements or even when I was on War Room the day before with Steve Bannon and we're saying, oh, it's going to be historic. It's going to be epic. It's, you know, talking about the debate on the floor. Right. Uh, They try to use this. They try to paper over that and tie it together. Well, it's a a dog whistle. It's implicit. Right. uh, What he really we know what he really means. Well, okay, maybe. But uh, I mean. If that's your argument, then why is it that the only person that the January 6th committee, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, and all of them stuck their necks out in defense of was Ray Epps? No, it it really says everything you need to know. And the answer to that is the same answer as why is the only January 6th participant about whom the New York Times has written a puff piece? That also happens to be Ray <laughs> right. Epps. That's yes, pretty exactly. remarkable, isn't it? This guy is the only insurrectionist that the New York Times happens to love enough to do a fully dedicated puff piece. Liz Cheney doesn't want you to touch him. Adam Kinsinger says, don't touch poor Ray Epps. This is all about Trump doing incitement because he said, go peacefully and patriotically to the Capitol. It's a complete joke. And I'd love to get into some other elements about the committee itself that people might not be aware of. First of all, I think the appropriate context in which to think about this committee and what they're doing, this is a third impeachment. Yes. This is an extension of, and it's not just an extension. We, on we, a, we've attained a permanent impeachment. Exactly. <laughs> it's permanent impeachment. No, it's permanent. It's the eternal recurrence right, of, right. The, uh, of the same clowns who are trying at all costs to undermine undermine Trump but it's but it's not just 
a third impeachment on a conceptual level. It's literally the pedigree of the J6 committee traces back to impeachment efforts. A notorious figure that Revolver News helped introduce to the public. A notorious figure called Norm Eisen. Ah, the yes. color revolution architect. Fingerprints we, of Eisen. Now, Norm Eisen had a lawfare organization called Crew. And one of the people he worked with very closely was called Joseph Sellers. Joseph Sellers, along with the NAACP and along with Benny Thompson, initiated a lawsuit against Trump and the Proud Boys and others for January 6th that adduced a specific theory of the case. And so the whole January 6th committee's theory of the case comes from that initial lawsuit, right. which you think, if anything is a conflict of interest, it's having Benny Thompson run the J6 committee when he initiated a personal lawsuit against Trump advancing a particular theory of January 6th, in which, of course, Trump is the criminal who did obstruction and all of this. It's just well, and the point you're making a is sham that, up and down. Uh, if, if there had been a a, a true insurrection, right? Uh, let's you know, armed individuals storming the Capitol, perhaps holding it for you know 48 to 72 hours. Uh, actual ties to people in government. You'd right. want a true investigation of this, right? But you couldn't have someone running that investigation that was already filing uh, a one-sided lawsuit against right. the person that you decided was the ringleader of the right. whole thing, right? And which already had a theory of the case fully laid out. You know, the J6 is supposed to look at the issue afresh, but of course, you know, we all know it's a joke. Anything with Liz Cheney is a joke. It'd almost be like the FBI running the Oswald investigation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, heaven, heaven forfend that. But no, it's, it's, it's completely ridiculous. And as long as we're on Benny Thompson, so he's not just the chair of the J6 committee. Here's another interesting link that people might not know. Benny Thompson is the Department of Homeland Security's stooge in Congress. Benny Thompson, whenever the Democrats control Congress, Benny Thompson is the chair of the Homeland Security Committee. He must have been chair like at least seven times, something like that. It's no, this, this must be because of his background of of national security service, <laughs> his understanding of the, the threats to our homeland, uh, his, his, his zeal in protecting our sovereign rights. C certainly this. Uh, right? Certainly this. Well, you know, the Department of Homeland Security was set up in the aftermath of 9-11 for this war on terror, which I think at best has mixed results. But Benny Thompson came out very early on as the DHS's reliable stooge and pushed all these sort of Patriot Act type uh, type proposals coming through DHS and I just find it very interesting given what we've recently learned about the DHS its role in censorship of Twitter its role in censorship of the internet more broadly its obsession with censoring misinformation on three different things on COVID on election integrity and on January 6th you know Darren since we're on the subject of the DHS and you know, it, when we look at the timeline of the Twitter files that have come out, we, we, we have to remember that the Twitter situation with H, FBI and DHS, that was October 2020. Right. Then the preferred candidate of the national security state enters the White House. They take over DHS, the apparatus there. Right. And the very first thing they attempt to do is erect this 
organization within DHS, a law enforcement organization, not just, but an organization like the FBI that straddles both intel and law enforcement, law enforcement powers. Right. And they attempted to create a program called the Disinformation Governance Board. And it was going to be run by our good friend, Nina Yankovic. And now, I gave a speech earlier today where I said, you know, I, I, I made a my pillow joke and I said, Nina, if you're staying up at night, uh, I've got a way to help with that. But Darren, do you have a message for Nina? Because she was so excited about being named to the Department of Homeland Security. She leaked her own hiring to Politico because she wanted someone to know about it. But it turned out that after I exposed it and you exposed her background, she had to resign in utter disgrace. And, and, and is it possible that she's just sitting at home right now listening to us, perhaps spinning some moaning mur Myrtle records, <laughs> sipping her wine, what can we tell her at this Christmas season? You know, for someone like Nina, and I've become unfortunately familiar with a variety of these sort of disinformatrix type figures. And I'd have to say, like, she's probably the more personal of the bunch. At least when she started out, there was sort of a light aspect to her personality. She got heavier as things went on um, in a metaphorical sense. But... Um, it's really just the clownishness of her choice as the head of the Disinformation Governance Board. Um, it was too ridiculous even for Clown World America. <laughs> it, was, it was too ridiculous even for even this ridiculous clown country. Clown like, rejected you know, Clown World, which says a lot. And so I can't help but have kind of a soft spot for her just because she's so ridiculous and silly. There's almost a kind of charm to Is it. Is Darren Beatty showing empathy? <laughs> and emotional empathy? See, Lex Fridman would never, right. would never show empathy for one of his targets. But the thing the, about the Nina programs. that really is important to understand is really beyond Nina. She's kind of a non-entity. She's just a silly, silly person. But she was involved in this thing called the Integrity Initiative, which yes. you know a lot about. We've talked oh, about. Oh, she's more than just in, involved because yeah. now, after being fired from Department of Homeland Security and the res resignation disgrace, we her name turns up on foreign agent registration papers and Darren, yep. which country is she now an officially registered foreign agent of? My guess would be the UK. It's the UK. And you know, and this is the what's surprising to me about that is that it's actually official in the UK because just in a nutshell for people not familiar with the integrity initiative, this was a funded by the UK government, funded by the American government, funded by NATO cutouts like the Atlantic Council and so forth. But basically, it was clusters of journalists who were basically put on tap to engage in psychological influence operations right. to interfere with the political processes of NATO countries, right. um, including the United States. This is the exact blueprint for the disinformation industry and for all of the operations that Twitter became infamous for. And it's called the Integrity Initiative. And she was one of the key figures part of that UK cluster, which right. is probably the worst cluster. But there are other figures involved too, like Ben Nimmo. And it's really a who's who character of sort of the disinformation economy. And, you know, you think there are people like Renee DiResta, which we've already talked about. She's not necessarily Integrity Initiative, but you, you just can't make this up. She was engaged in all of these operations 
talking about, oh, Russia, Russia this, Russia that. She was attacking Roy Moore in Alabama, saying he's supported by Russians. Her group faked Russian accounts to support this guy and then blamed him for being supported by Russians and used that as a pretext to say Russian influence is a problem. So, so Darren, we saw, you mentioned that in Roy Moore. We also saw with the Hunter Biden case, they desperately were trying to find some tie between this laptop and uh, and and Russia. Right. And it actually got to the point where it's it's kind of like that scene in in Idiocracy, right. uh, the famous documentary uh, by Mike Judge, who it, it, I love the scene where he's he's trying to implore the. Um, the uh, and I know we're making a lot of references on this on this episode, but that's what happens when Darren comes on. Um, that he's trying to explain to them why plants need water to grow rather than uh, brondo, and right. eventually <laughs> he can't get it across to them, and so he he eventually has to say, you know what, I can talk to plants, and the plants told me that they want water, and this is his, this is essentially what the national security state does to, and it's not just Twitter, Twitter's just the one we know about it, right. but it's what they do to the Twitter executives who yesterday we find out were given top secret interim clearance by the federal government in order to look at some files where they, were, where they said, we couldn't find any ties between this laptop and the Russian government. So we just told them that it was a Russian government operation. We put out a, a statement of 51 uh, you know, national security officials, and they went along with it, even though we had no evidence whatsoever. It's straight from the pages of Idiocracy. Right. But, but Darren, my question for you is, it's not necessarily the fact that they lied, but why is it, why not say the Iranian government? Why not? Uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Why does it always have to be Russia, whether it's 2016, 2017, then in 2020? I, I don't think we've heard one from 2022 yet, but well, the, you know, the year is young. We may, we may soon find out the operations are being. Right. Why is it always that this particular cluster focuses on Russia? You know, that's a great, that's really a great question. And just as long as it's on my mind, Revolver does some satirical pieces too, and one of our most popular is why idiocracy is actually a more intelligent system than the one we have now. <laughs> so anyone who's interested in that, that check one. that out. Yeah, it's, it's that got one. funny things. Like, well, for one, they at least have the common sense to find who the smartest person is and let them right. be in charge. Be, like, be, that's be one essentially thing. That's, the autocrat that, uh, you know, of the that, system. That right. automatically gives them more, you know, means they should deserve more credit. Well, than they we do, do also try to kill him. True, true. <laughs> there are some hiccups to that. But um, no, the question of why, why the obsession with Russia, it really gets down to the fact that there are factions within what we call the deep state and the intelligence community. And this goes all the way back to our reporting on the color revolution issues, that there's a certain faction of the intel community called the Atlanticists, whatever you want to think. Right. They're aligned with NATO. Uh, they're associated with groups like the Atlantic Council and so forth. And uh, George Soros is a major figure in this sort of constellation. Which, and, and by the way, just for, for folks' background, I know I said we weren't going to explain the references, but. Uh, when we look at these operations, this is exemplified through the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Network. And go look, who is Christopher Steele an agent of? MI6. Where right. were the meetings held? London. Where was the Steele dossier put together? It's London. 
Right. Where was Gina Haspel, the station chief of during right. Crossfire Hurricane? She's the station chief of London. London. And yet for some reason, we never quite tie the UK and elements of the UK deep state into all of these discussions. Right. Well, I mean, this is the Atlanticist faction. Right. And I mean, it's, it's a very complicated answer. I think the UK's particular fixation on Russia speaks to its sort of tacit acknowledgement of its status as a middling power. Mm. They're just not of a status that they could confront anything bigger. And so they're very invested in the United States remaining geopolitically focused on Europe. And so that's part of it. Um, but there's also a sociology of it and things sort of the 19th century own, you know, great game inertia yeah that sort of thing is whether of... want to focus on russia focus on china and you know the atlanticist group is definitely focused on europe and um favors a particular sort of influence model that i've described as the color revolution model and that model is particularly tailored to the phenomenon that we call wokeness because it requires mass mobilization it requires exacerbating certain cultural and ethnic cleavages within societies and mobilizing on that basis leveraging the media and ngos and so it's really important i think to understand the sociology and the ideology of this particular faction because it's played such a key role. Um, well, and, and, and by the way, yeah. to, to piggyback on that, you know, we talk about the Orange Revolution in Ukraine, we talk about the Maidan as a color revolution, we talk about the Arab Spring, and yet I don't for the life of me, well, I know why, but I, I think one thing that we need to do a better job of is explaining that what we experienced domestically in 2020 is a textbook color revolution yep. from from top to bottom with they used the story of George Floyd uh, to rile and inflame the masses yeah. they in conjunction with with lockdowns and psychological operations and Matthias Desmond talks about mass formation uh, all of this was done and the EIP Norm Eisen, right. uh, brag about this in Time Magazine. Right. This was a textbook color revolution. You right. might call it the BLM color revolution. It, no, exactly. It's the BLM revolution. And the thing is, is that this goes way back to Revolver's like earlier, you know, early greatest hits. It was like your the, first, Yeah, the color, you know, the color revolution story. It wasn't heaps. just that it was the same tactics. It was literally the same people. The same people. The same color revolution professionals. The people like Norm Eisen, who literally wrote the book on color revolution uh, called The Playbook. Um, there's people like Michael McFowell, who was the color revolution, you know, in charge of, of Russia. There are, you know, people like Ann Applebaum, who happens to have been a member of the Integrity Initiative um, UK cluster, I believe. And all of these people, it's the same cast of characters. And so it's one thing if they use the same tactic, but you notice the same cast of characters. And part of that is just they viewed the emergence of Trump in 2016, the preceding Brexit phenomenon as equivalent threats, populism as an equivalent threat to the so-called authoritarian threats that they saw in Eastern Europe. And they deployed the exact same mechanisms and tools to suppress the energies associated with the Trump movement and other populist movements domestically that they did against, you know, pick your, pick your uh, you know, Eastern European 
quote-unquote authoritarian that they went after. Same people, same playbook, same tactics. And you see that in the recent news with the J6 committee. Um, and the pedigree of that charge of this third impeachment goes all the way back to Norm Eisen. And there's nobody more decorated than Norm Eisen in terms of lawfare efforts against Trump. He's literally the key hatchet man, the key figure in all of these operations against Trump. So with that, and we've got a couple of minutes left here, the new Congress is coming up. Yeah. Darren, if asked by, and you know, we'll find out who the speaker is here soon enough, uh, and the committee chairs, and, I, and I, I just hope they're strong, right? That's what I keep yep. saying to everybody. Yep. If asked, would you be willing to keep the January 6th committee open on the contingency that they named the chief inquisitor you? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I am a big fan of keeping the committee, but actually having it serving the purpose that it should serve, which is to get to the bottom of January 6th. And there are very specific items I've been calling for. We've done a lot of reporting on the pipe bomb issue. It's very easy, and this is what I was going to say to anyone elected official. Do you, do you remember Chris Hayes was started getting in on this from MSNBC? Yeah. Why don't we know who this pipe no, bomber it's, is? No, it's, it's, like, it's incredible, but but that's actually illustrates an important point and something that people who want to do something good, but maybe they're more on the cowardly side, should should think about in the, the GOP. You don't need to go full revolver news and say the dirty word Fed surrection to say, I want to find out who the pipe bomber is. You don't have to say right. Darren Beatty was right about January 6th to say, whoever it was, this person planted explosive devices outside the Democrat national headquarters, and we want to find out who this person is, whether they're Republican, whether they're Democrat, whoever they are, this was a terrorist operating on you know January 5th, January 6th, and we are law and order people, we want to know who it is. It doesn't take any political courage to say that, and that at the very, very least, I expect incoming Congress to do that. I mean, you don't need the 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 memes of Alaska and Alabama and the uh, peaceful people who were, you know, walking within the lines. It seems like those are the ones that the FBI is much more interested in going after. Yeah. People locked up for two years now in some right. cases with no trial. Right. Um, though I am told, I am told that they have uh, tablets. Uh, while they're in there, and they are able to actually on Pluto watch Real America's Voice, and oh, watch the great. War Room, and watch anything. So, so you know, we're praying for you this Christmas yeah. season. But, but also, what? Bottom line, what is the most important thing that the new Congress could do going for? I know it's a complicated question, but what would you like to see uh, for out of the new Congress to fight back against any of this? Well, I mean, more most broadly speaking, I support what uh, I think David Sachs just said on Twitter. It's like, we need a new church committee. Mm. Broadly speaking, we need a new church committee. But more specifically, we need an investigatory committee like the January 6th committee to get to the bottom of very specific issues. And I've been on record saying the two smoking guns of January 6th are Ray Epps and the pipe bomb. And there are very specific actions that this Congress can take in terms of 
availing itself of subpoena power to get to the bottom of those two issues. Well, and you've, you've done the, the work that shows there are hours of videotape that the FBI has. They've doctored footage that's been released. Right. But we have not ever yeah, seen the just, archive of. We just want the chain of custody. Just give us the chain of custody of the DNC pipe bomber footage and the full raw and unedited footage and let's start from there and see where it goes. I guarantee you it will lead to very, very dark places, but as they say, the cliche, but it's true, sunlight is the best disinfectant and it's time for a reckoning. All right, we'll do we'll do Darren Beatty on Gen 6. I'll take social media. I'll there start you go. with the Twitter files. <laughs> I'll start with Nina Yankovic and work my way but down. But go from easy there. on her. We'll yeah. go easy on Nina. We'll go easy on Nina. Nina, if you're listening, just work with us. We'll cut a deal. Save the animus for Brandy's a draw. Save it for Brandy. She's, she's the one we'll who save it for it. Brandy. Darren, always a pleasure. Thank Revolver. you. Revolver.news is the site. And I think there's an interesting interview that might be coming out there very soon. Oh, yes. I heard a rumor of that, too. Darren, always a pleasure. Great. Thank you.